welcome to the Turkey Hunter Podcast with me, your host, Andy Galliano. In this podcast, I share with turkey hunters just like you how to have more turkeys on your hunting property and how to have more successful turkey hunts. I teach you how to do this with tips and interviews with turkey hunting pros, wildlife management tips, and entertaining turkey hunting stories. Tune in weekly as I share proven and simple strategies to help you have more success this turkey season. Make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe to receive free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews. Also, please visit and like my Facebook fan page. Go to Facebook and search I Am Turkey Hunting. And also feel free to post your turkey hunting photos from this past season and let us know where and when you killed your bird. For all of you Twitter users out there, please follow me on Twitter where my handle is at turkeyhitman and I will be sure to follow you back. And now, for this week's show. Hello and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 278, the 2020 NWTF Convention and Sports Show Recap. And I am your co-host and the guy who found out this week that he drew a permit for the special lottery hunt in Arkansas. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. And I am your other co-host, and the guy who has looked over the spots he plans to hunt at least 10 times in the past two weeks to make sure that I remember where each tree is on those properties. Gotcha. I have been... I, I pretty much am set in where I'm going to hunt, but I can't stop looking at it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I got to make sure I understand everything about it. <laughs> yes, I do understand. So. I have the same fascination with maps and especially the satellite imagery, you know. Oh, I know. Winter and summer pictures and it's a, the topo- topography and. It's a disease. I'm diseased with maps in regards to turkeys as well. So I've been pouring over them. Good deal. Well, I know it'll pay off for you, so keep at it. I hope so. I went, short side note, went this past weekend to a place that I have been wanting to look at. Ten steps in the woods, found a gigantic gobbler track. So Mm -hmm. that's always a good sign. So there's another spot to go listening here shortly yes indeed so i actually put in for two wmas that i've never been to before which you know there's quite a few of them in arkansas that i've never been to before (laughs) but i chose two that were in the southern part of the state that are actually (laughs) just north of the louisiana line and there's a couple of reasons why i did that first of all I thought it might be a little bit closer to home. Now, after mapping it out on Google, it's really not. It's about the same distance (laughs) to the property that you and I went and hunted last year that had quite a few Mm -hmm. turkeys on it. Yeah. I would say that's what, the the northwest part of the state? Yeah. It's really kind of central, though. Yeah. Central west. Yeah. Yeah. And... That was one reason why I did it. And then the other reason that I did it that way is because if I can kill in Arkansas pretty quickly, 
then I may just spend a few dollars and wander across the state line into Louisiana and see if I can find something there that piques my interest. Man, yeah. If you can knock those two states out at one go, that's two pretty hard states to get off the list at once. You darn tootin' it is. So I mean, that'd be something right there. I've, I'm interested to see how you do. It'll be... What's the terrain look like where you're going this time in Arkansas? Is it more swamp bottomlands, or is it, it in the hills still? It is swamp bottomlands, and it looks like it's about as flat as the desktop that my microphone and computer are sitting on. And yeah, that's my kind of place. Yeah, I would say <laughs> I'm a that flatlander. That's reason number three why I chose to go in the southern part of the state, but it's is really not. You know, the that northwest part of the state has obviously many more mountains and hills, but from all the research that you and I did and everyone that we talked to in Arkansas, it has more turkeys too. So, mm-hmm. you know, with the flooding from this past spring, and you know there's some flooding going on in there now. Guaranteed. There may not be a turkey within 20 miles of this place. So Yeah, if the rain doesn't ever stop, they're probably going to be in very small pockets on the very few dry spots on the place. Yeah, and there will be... 50 of us hunters who drew that WMA all hunting on <laughs> on the island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, I know. Really I think what it is, I mean, I, I vividly remember a Turkey gobbling on top of the mountain headed the other way. And I started straight up the mountain and, and you didn't want to go in Arkansas. So I think you just were thinking about that when you put in for the draw and like, man, I'm just going to go to this flat area. Well, the reason that I didn't want to go after the turkey that was at the top of the mountain while we were at the bottom of the mountain is that he would gobble every 30 to 45 minutes. Yeah, it was very sporadic. And that was not enough to keep me interested in in that turkey and then much less get me to climb that mountain. Well, you ended up climbing it because you climbed it with me. And then I found us that great trail that got us out of there that turned out to not be a trail. We climbed that mountain. <laughs> And what happened when we got up there, because the turkey was not gobbling very frequently, we bumped him. Yes, but you said it wasn't him. I said that to make myself feel better, and so I wouldn't turn the gun on you. (laughs) I was ready to turn the gun on me, too. (laughs) After that climb, and then, I mean, we couldn't have topped out that mountain for more than three seconds, and the turkey took off flying. Oh, yeah. I mean, huffing and puffing. I mean, y'all, like, listeners, I'm telling you, this was a mountain. This was no hill. It was a legit mountain. And we hit the summit. And, I mean, about the time I got on top first and the second Andy topped out, we just hear, and there he goes, pitching off the mountain, sailing out into oblivion. So if that isn't disheartening, I don't know what is. It was really easy for him to pitch off the top of that mountain since we were above the tree line. Oh yeah, I mean it was like a it was like an airport taken off for him. I mean he just jumped off the side and was sailing out in across the state. There's no telling how far he went. Oh yeah, you're Golly. right. Good deal. Anyway. Well, I say all that to say that's probably why you chose the flatlands this time, and I don't blame you. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that trip. 
So yeah, it's I'll be interested be to see how you do. Yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see what it's like over there. You know, I've I've never really spent any time in that part of the state. So yeah, that's true. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But well, I hope you get them both. That'd be man, that'd be something if you killed both of those states in one trip. I mean, that'd really be something. Oh, that'd make my season. Yeah, that would be that'd be a feat. I mean, anybody can kill one in Arkansas and Louisiana from and you don't live in either of those states and go in there, do it on public land in, you know, three, four days. I don't know how long you're going. Yeah. That'd be impressive. That's about right. Three or four days. So yeah, hopefully the weather will be decent. So I'll, I'll just have to see mm-hmm. how it all plays out, but yeah, it'll be. Well, great. Congrats cool. on the draw. Yeah. So today we're 23 days, nine hours, zero minutes and six seconds away from Opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. What about and South Florida? I will be hunting in nine days wow. and eight hours in southern Florida. Wow. It's 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 coming fast. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm I'm just like pinching myself. I can't believe it. I mean I'm gonna be leaving a week from tomorrow to go to South Florida and scout all day friday before season opens hmm. and uh hopefully it'll be set up under a nice osceola gobbler or two on saturday morning i just yeah. can't believe it's in two i mean i just cannot believe it and i've seen a lot of pictures from people turkey strutting and gobbling everything already in south florida so i know they're doing it oh yeah so yeah. good luck to our youth hunters this weekend absolutely in south florida yeah, the know, youths uh, are going to get after it this weekend. I know. They're probably going to kill all the Osceolas on the property that I'm going to. I'm and sure I hope they, they do. <laughs> yeah. They'll enjoy it. Yeah. Heck yeah. Awesome. So, hey, while you were on vacation last week, you missed a little something. Yeah. I don't know. A few people were talking about turkey somewhere. I can tell you there were probably about 45,000 people talking about it in Nashville. Huh. Yeah. I guess I did miss it. Yeah. <laughs> Turns out they had a convention and sports show up there this past weekend. Did you? Man, you don't say. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. All about this convention. turkey. <laughs> All, You'd think it was a disease or something, people going that crazy about it. All for the wild turkey. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Weird. But you missed out on it, and I am just going to rub it all in your face today on what you well. missed out on. I deserve it. Well, and truth be told, as much editing as you've done of my interviews from that trip, you have a pretty good feel of what I did while I was yeah, there. Yeah, I'm pretty so, familiar with it Yeah. so far. I know there's plenty more content to come because yes. you went hard at this convention. I mean, hats off to you. You did a lot by yourself, and I hate I missed it, but you really got a ton a ton of content I got a ton from this content. one convention. Yeah, there's zero doubt about that. And, you know, I had in my mind that, of course, goal number one was to get content for the show, but that should go without saying. So my other goal number one in my mind was to try on a bunch of different turkey vests and buy a new vest. Hmm. Can I tell you how many I actually tried on? Two. It starts with a Z and ends with an O. <laughs> you never even tried one on? I never put on 
a turkey vest the entire time I was in Nashville. I oh, never man. got a chance to. I spent a grand total of maybe over three days, maybe two hours on the show floor. Mm. 30 minutes of that two hours was spent talking to Preston Pittman, which I'm not going to complain about that. Another 30 minutes was spent talking to the guy who sells the socks and gloves and hats and insoles that are made out of buffalo fur, bison fur. Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and kind of skip ahead because this was, they literally were taking their booth down Saturday. The show had ended. And I told Tammy, because she was walking through there with me, I said, we're going down this last row. I don't care if there's nothing on it. We're going down. And so we turned to go around the last row, and I said, wait a minute. Here's a guy that sells the socks that are supposed to really last a long time. Well, not the same guy that I was thinking about, even though he says his socks last a really long time, and they wear well. But these socks are pricey, and they live up to everything that he said that they will do so far. I can't tell you about the wear, but they're comfortable, and they are the warmest socks I have ever had on my feet, ever. Wow. It's, it's insane how warm these socks are, and I've only put on the thin pair. Oh, Lord. Yeah, and so, anyway, I'm not going to get into the long sales pitch on these socks because I'm not really trying to sell them. This guy does a great job with socks, but if you guys are like me and as disgusting as this is, your feet sweat all the time, whether it's 100 degrees outside or it is 10 degrees outside. And in the winter, it causes you great discomfort because your feet are always cold. Spend $40 on a pair of these socks. And I'm telling you, you're not going to regret <laughs> the purchase. Now, again, I can't speak as to how long they will last, how, long, how well they wear because I've only worn them in boots one time, and I haven't put, you know, a whole lot of miles on them. But I am blown away at how warm my feet are in these socks and how dry they stay in these socks. So, anyway, I, I'm, I've gotten way off a of topic on over here, but I didn't try on socks, but I bought socks, never tried on, not even one turkey vest. And <clears throat> that's my only regret from the show. Actually, there's, there really are two regrets. That's one regret. The other regret is the friends that I have made at that show who were there that had booths that were exhibiting and selling goods that I didn't get to see and visit with. That's my other regret because mm -hmm. most of them I only see once a year and I see them at that show. So, yeah. you know, I do regret that. But anyway, you'll be there next year. You can handle all the interviews. I'll spend all my time in the show floor. Absolutely. And in the calling contest and, oh, yeah, in the watering hole and drinking cold beers. So <laughs> I'll turn you loose with it next year. That sounds like a fair deal to me. I'm in. But I'm going to rub it in as to everything that I did this year while you were struggling and suffering on vacation in Costa Rica. It was rough. The sailfish really put a hurting on my forearm when I reeled him in. Yeah. The sun, you know, was really hot on the skin, which I hadn't seen that glowing yellow orb in the sky wow. in yeah. a couple months at this point, it feels like. It was tough, man. 
the the sunset with the macaws flying in front of it it was just a, it was a tough time and i'm i'm glad i suffered through it i made it through it and now i'm here to talk to you about the nwtf know what i missed speaking of that funny story aside my brother-in-law my sister's husband is a preacher at one of our local churches and he went with us on this trip and this trip was like full vacation trip so he had somebody fill in for him as pastor of this church well the guy apparently didn't get the message that it was a vacation trip and he called all the deacons in the church to the front to pray for my brother-in-law on his mission trip to costa rica And no one had the heart to tell him he was just on vacation. So nice. my brother-in-law said they had a big long prayer for him on his mission trip to Costa Rica. Meanwhile, he's catching a sailfish out in the middle of the ocean and kicked back on by the pool. <laughs> Very nice. Well, I am sure that your brother-in-law prayed for the people of Costa Rica a good bit, even though he may not have preached to them. He prayed for them. So that's that's. Just as good as mission work. It counts. It counts. But I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, man. Pretty darn Well, tell me about the NWTF, or is that what... That's the topic of the show today, so... Yes, topic of the show. Let's let's get in and go with it, because there's a bunch of content that I've got for the listeners today and for you. So, all right, Thursday, there was one seminar on Thursday. And I went ahead and scheduled a bunch of different interviews for Thursday. So Thursday, my goal for Thursday was to just fill the day with interviews. So I went to the Bone Collector Seminar. That was the very first seminar that I went to. And I have to tell you, it was the funniest seminar that those guys have done. Really? They're always comical. They're pretty entertaining. This one was... I'm going to say if you take the last three years of bone collector seminars and put the funniest parts together, that was the entire seminar this year. Hmm. It was, it was awesome. They did a really, really good job and I enjoyed that. So I want to play a little bit of that for you guys now. Let's hear it. Before I pass the mic over to Dick, I got to tell this story. So the first year we're doing bone collector, T-Bone's obviously, he's a, he's a big fella. Matter of fact, he don't like this nickname. He started hunting and hunt, joined the hunting club. He didn't even know these guys. And uh, right off the bat, we've always called Travis T-Bone. Don't Every, say everybody. Don't no, say I got to say it. I got to say it. It's I'm good. I got to go. <laughs> said, he calls me and they say, he ain't going to believe this. I get in the hunting club. He said, they don't even call me T-Bone. He said, you know what they call me? Girth. <laughs> Nickname. But it was the first trip, I mean, one of the first trips in the fall during the rut. We're hunting in Indiana and we're all so tired. It is really realistically, it's about 5 o'clock, 4 5 o'clock in the morning. We're getting out of our bed, in a little bumps, you know, staying in these little cots. And T Bone comes out and we're sitting there, you know, all these dudes booking together we're in our drawers, you know, putting on our long handles. And Lord of mercy, where are we hunting? Which way's the wind? Where y'all want to go? And, we sit there, we about get about half, you know, dressed and getting our clothes on, get our first layer on anyway, starting to put our jacket and stuff. T-Bone comes running out of his bedroom in skin-tight Under Armour thermals. And he said, man, why the hell? 
want Under Armour call me back. <laughs> I just turned around and walked back in the room, dude. So after that, nobody made no coffee. We laughed for like two days after that. So you can only imagine uh, the, the one thing. I don't even know how we do this for a living. And even if y'all allow y'all's kids to watch this, because honestly, we're all in our 40s now. And we still got the mentality of a 12-year-old. So literally. All right. So I recorded the entire seminar. And eventually probably sometime over the summer, you guys are going to get to hear this. It has, you know, a little bit of turkey hunting stuff in it, but really they just told stories the entire time. So the title of that podcast episode is going to be Storytelling with the Bone Collectors, because that was pretty much what the seminar was. But lots of laughs, really good time. And from there, I went to the booth. You know, the NWTF, and I told all of you guys this before the show that the NWTF had set us up with a booth to do interviewing at. And I went to the booth after the Bone Collector Seminar, and I met with Brad Cochran, who is partners with Dave Smith in Dave Smith Decoys. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk to Brad and get some decoying tips, as well as find out what's new at DSD Decoys for this year. And so I had a great interview with Brad. And here he is to tell us a little bit about what's going on at DSD. So in talking decoys, I guess, you know, really my first question would be, is there ever a time during the season when you maybe wouldn't use a decoy? That you would say, yes, that's going to be my plan B? For me personally, yeah. um, no. Okay. I, I use I use the decoy or decoys from opening day all the way through the very end of the season. Uh, to me, the component that uh, a decoy brings to the hunt is is a level of excitement that I just don't get if I don't have a decoy. The interaction or the potential for a, a close encounter with a bird um, that's going to perform in a way that you won't get if you don't have a decoy. Yeah. And you won't you won't get if you you won't consistently get if you don't have a realistic decoy. And it's just a it brings a whole another level of excitement to the hunt from from my standpoint. Um, I've seen birds do things with decoys that I've never seen them do in the wild, even when I'm not hunting them, even when I'm just observing them. Yeah. How aggressive they are, and, and not just gobblers, but but hens too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You get a lot of hens that want to fight your hen decoy too, and uh, it's it's just a, it's a lot of fun. It's a neat experience, and I've I've gotten to the point where I think I've shot enough turkeys in my time that um, I'm kind of picky about how I do it and I really like to add that that excitement you know yeah. with it with a bird engaging my decoys and so it doesn't happen you know it doesn't happen right every single time but I'm willing to take the risk and I would say more often than not having a decoy can only help yeah all right you know the decoys those guys are making they're not looking any more fake I mean they just <clears> continue <throat> to get better and better those yeah. things are ridiculous yeah they really are they come really... a long way from the old fold-up thumb decoy <laughs> man it's it's crazy it really is so that was a pretty interesting interview and i'm excited about bringing that entire interview to you guys in a later episode as well because we talk about some pretty good stuff when it comes to decoying 
So that was cool. So you guys know me well enough to know I don't like to shoot just a little bit. I like to shoot a lot. You know, shooting at a turkey one time and killing it, it's kind of like going on a dove hunt, shooting 15 times, killing your limit of 15 doves, loading up in your truck and going home, and it's only 1 o'clock in the afternoon on opening day. That's not yeah. real fun to me. Who so, wants to do that? Nobody. Nobody, really. So I needed to pick someone's brain and talk some shooting and talk some ammo, and I grabbed Dan Compton with Federal and did a good interview with him. And so here is Dan. We're going to listen into that, and I'll see you here in a minute. From there, then we step up into what we call third degree, which for us is a blended load. So that's a tungsten and a lead hybrid together. Yeah. And we have three different shot sizes in there. We have number five copper-plated lead, number six nickel-plated lead, plate stopper lead with our ring around it, and then number seven heavyweight TSS. And the theory behind that was people are, you know, choking tighter and tighter, and mm-hmm. you know, and as you go into tungsten, your patterns get even tighter. What about that turkey that's at eight yards or ten yards? And you got to be right on them, yeah. you know, and and you're just a potential cheek weld slight difference away from hit or miss. So we thought it was kind of counterintuitive in a way, but we said, what if we made a turkey load that opened up a little quicker, but you could still reach out and touch them? And so yeah. that was our theory behind that. The number sixes spread a little fast, and if you take a 10-yard pattern target and shoot it, you'll see the difference. You gain about another three, four inches up front, but you can still get that 15, 20, 30 hits at 40 yards in that 10-inch circle. And then you're not, if you want to hunt with tungsten, you're not biting off as much of a price point, too, as well. So we launched third degree, I think, five years ago now. Yeah. And uh, we, we, at one point, had 15 density tungsten in it. Now we gravitated towards the 18 density tungsten to put in that front. Yeah. And that's available 12 gauge, 3.5, and, and 3 inch, and then 20 gauge, 3 inch. Okay. And then the top of our lineup is the heavyweight TSS. And in that, we have a main lineup that, we, that you'd find in the catalog. We have 12 inch, three in, 12 gauge, 3.5. And in that, we have sevens and nines, like single loads. And then we have seven and nine combos as well, and eight and ten combos. And I believe it's two and a half ounces a shot. That three and a half inch load, if you're a TSS hunter and you're looking to maximize pellet count, I think there's a thousand and five pellets in that load. Holy cow. And we're at over a 90% efficiency in a 10-inch circle. So we're putting almost a thousand pellets at 40 yards in a 10-inch circle. So people ask, why'd you do the eight and 10s in the three and a half? And it's like, we wanted to get over the thousand pellet hurdle. You know, that was basically why we did it. Wow. Um, And then in three inch, we just have the straight loads, like the seven shot and the nine shot. Uh, 20 gauge, we have some combo loads as well, sevens and nines, eights and tens, and then sevens and nine. Um, and then we're 410. 410 yeah. is where we have a nine shot, and that's where we really made some hay. You know, the 20 gauges sell. Our top three are probably the couple three inch skews, 20 gauge, and then the 410 comes in at number three. And we've had, I've taken phone calls from people. Um, people have like thanked us for making turkey hunting something accessible for you know younger shooters or yeah. recoil sensitive shooters or yeah. I'm old and had my shoulder redone or you don't yeah. need to be old to do that but um, so the 410 has been a been a pretty cool one and uh, that's I would say like one that I was most proud of and yeah. the first time I and then I think part of that is kind of a bucket list thing you hear about it and you're like I want to shoot a turkey with a 410 yeah know? so people go out and do it and then now you're seeing guns like from Savage that are being custom made for it you know and they pattern just like a house of fire so all right so I've just kind of scratched the surface so far in all the interviews that I did on Thursday. You and I both are huge fans of this next company. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to tell you the interview that I did 
with the representative of Onyx, Jared Larson, was off the hook. It's this awesome. dude has energy for days. Mm-hmm. He loves the company that he works for. He loves their product. And you can just tell it listening to him. He knows it in and out. Great guy all the way around and was just a lot of fun to interview, especially, you know, you're talking about getting into the the mid-afternoon after lunch doldrums and you jump into an interview with Jared Larson and it gets you fired up. So here's Jared with some really good tips yeah, on absolutely. using the Onyx app. And again, I've got enough content from Jared to do another episode and we'll do that later in the year as well. Here's Jared. You guys listening to this, you're going to love it. And we'll see you in a minute. And now that you mentioned that, Andy, I'm going to have to rewind. And another hot tip I have is with the tracker. This is something I just pretty recently started doing. And uh, I, I, I spend a lot of time behind my windshield once spring rolls around. Because, you know, when you're driving down the road in summer, fall, or winter, you're not seeing a bunch of turkeys out. Right. You know, I don't yeah. know where they go, but they crawl into the woodwork somewhere. So it's trap doors that they use when I'm hunting them. Seriously. <laughs> but then, like, March rolls around, and it's like, birds in that field, birds in that field, birds in that field. And so what I do is when I'm out driving, scouting, is I'll turn my tracker on when I leave my house, and then I'll drive around, do my, you know, couple hours of driving around scouting birds, and so I'm tracking the whole time so I know every single turn I've taken in my truck, dropping waypoints where I see turkeys, and then I get back to my web map, which the track seamlessly syncs to, and it's like, okay, I scouted this big section today. My next time I'm going to take a drive before season, I'm going to make sure I'm doing a different area than I've already drove around. That way I'm not, you know, wasting gas miles looking at the same or similar country. That's awesome. And that also is super applicable if you're a waterfowl hunter, you know, scouting. I mean, same thing. So just keeping you all of your data in one place and that way you have as much information as possible to give you the best odds of success well you learned me something perfect that's That's, what i was after that's what i wanted that's what i needed so man i appreciate it cameron i've still got like three more interviews to tell (laughs) you it's gonna be action-packed round right here it is it is so and i can't you must have just been sprinting everywhere you have your tennis shoes on well I was fortunate enough to get everybody that I interviewed to, to come you. to our booth. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's, I would love to have been there this year for that because that had to be nice. Oh, it was, it was fun. One other thing that was cool about the booth is it was right at the registration area, right by the door where people would walk in to go to the registration area. So, so many people that walked in looked to the right and saw the Turkey Hunter podcast booth right next to the hunting public booth and, It was great exposure, but my next interview was at the booth, and it was with Joel Peterson with the NWTF. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, when Joel came up to the booth, he just kind of looked at me and he said, okay, so what is it that you want to talk about? And I said, I want to talk about what you do. I want to talk about, you know, the government involvement and the politics of not just turkey hunting, well, I do want to cover that, but conservation 
and hunting. And, you know, I want to talk about the policy that goes into this. And he looks at me and he said, how long do you want to talk about this? I said, I think we'll talk for 30 or 45 minutes. He said, I don't have a clue as to how we're going to make this interesting to where people are going to want to listen to this. And I said, I can tell you that the listeners of the Turkey Hunter podcast are very interested in what is going on in D.C. that affects what we do and what we love to do. And so he sat down with me and I got him talking for quite a while. And my wife, you guys listening to the show, don't really know her. Cameron knows her pretty well. She goes to the NWTF convention for me. This is not Mm -hmm. a place that she would go. She's sitting beside me and just basically quit working and doing whatever it was she was doing and was just listening to Joel with the NWTF talk about policy and all of the great things that are happening in D.C. And so she was very interested in what he had to say. And she cares nothing about hunting or turkey hunting. I can't say she cares nothing about conservation because I think we all do to some extent. And so anyway, here's a little clip from my interview with Joel. And you got to hear some of this, Cameron. It's pretty good. I'm looking forward to it. So, so it's interesting. I, I do a lot of work with federal government affairs in Washington, D.C. And while we see in the news how partisan it is and how difficult it is to get any of the, I would say the big stuff passed. You're talking health care, tax reform, those things are really contentious. Yeah. But it's, it's really been surprising and pleasing to see how when we talk about the conservation space that there's really been a good bipartisan effort and we've had a number of good wins over the last couple of years that are moving things forward uh, for hunters and for conservation and and for the opportunity to recruit new hunters into the fold and and all of those things. So um, while there is definitely a split, I think that that conservation space is still one that is bipartisan. And we have have the opportunity and we're we're seeing things get done there. That's great. I seriously think I could talk to Joel about that stuff <laughs> for a couple of days. And it was interesting for me. I, I just, I don't know. I've never really heard somebody talk about the topics like he did right there. I mean, that was real open and honest. What's yeah. going on that's good. What's going on that's bad. Let's hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just how things, <laughs> the, all right. We know that things don't get done in DC. But the things that do get done in D.C., the effort and the time that it takes to get stuff accomplished is mind-blowing. Yeah. That, that was eye-opening. And, you know, it's, it's got to be rewarding for him to work on something for three years, finally get it passed, and then know that it's done. You, you've gotten this huge thing accomplished that you wanted to get done, but yet there's still more to do. Mm-hmm. You know? So that that was a, you're right, it's eye-opening. And that was a great interview. I enjoyed that a lot. So after Joel left, I got to talk about something else I enjoy talking about, and that is boots. I'm kind, oh, of, yeah. a, I'm kind of a shoe and boot junkie. And so, you know, as much as we hunters wear boots, we want to make sure we get the right pair of boots. We want to make sure that we take care of them and, and that they last as long as they can last because a lot of these boots that we buy are pretty darn expensive. 
And so I got Chris Curra with lacrosse and Danner to come have a little sit down with me and talk about boots. And so here's a little clip from my interview with Chris. Let's talk product care. Okay. Because yeah. hey, we walk on these things, we abuse them. Yeah. Season's over, we throw them in the closet or throw them yeah. in the garage or the basement. We don't think about it until it's time to put them back on next year. And maybe there's some things we should have done. Yeah. Because rubber is not a perfect product. No. Nope. It's going to dry rot over time. Yep. I mean, it's just a hard and fast fact. We know it's going to happen. But what can we do, not just for our rubber boots, but our leather boots as well, and some of the other product, uh, the other types of fabrics that you guys are making the boots from, what can we do to care for those and make sure that they do last us as, as much time as we can get out of them? Yeah, so it's just like anything, take care of it and it's going to last, right? Yeah. I think footwear is one of the last things that people choose to take care of. Like it's one of those pieces of gear that almost comes across as like disposable, but it's really not. Like when it does break down, people aren't happy. Right. Usually, I don't know how many people I've talked to just today, like my boots are cracking and breaking, they're rotting or... They leak or this or that, and um, so there's there's quite a few things. One of one of the first things is just keep them clean. Uh, if you have rubber boots and you just spend a day out and it's muddy, hose them off. Yeah, hose them off and let them dry well. If you don't have a boot dryer, get a boot dryer and make sure you dry them out so that funk just doesn't stay in there. Make sure they're properly dried. Make sure they're clean. And that goes whether it's leather or or rubber. Clean them. So if you have a leather boot. Go invest in a nice, and we have all this on our websites too. So you can find okay. boot care kits, whether it's rubber or leather on our websites, Danner and Lacrosse. If it's a rubber boot, we have rubber conditioner. So clean the boots, spray this rubber conditioner on, and just rub them down. And that's just going to make sure that that natural rubber is not going to dry out and break, crack over time, right? Yeah. So keep the rubber conditioned. Same thing with the leather. Keep it conditioned. Keep it moist. Keep it, like, fresh. Uh, older it gets, the drier it gets, the more brittle it's going to get, right? So so look into that stuff. I mentioned a brush. Kind of skipped over that. Like, a, a leather boot and a nice boot brush to get in, yeah. get all that dirt out from all those little seams and creases and keep that stuff out of there because it's like sandpaper at a certain point over time things rubbing together that's True. how things are going to start breaking down so yeah. just keep all that stuff out of your boot clean out the gusset unlace it clean out the gussets get all that dirt all the debris out of there um, and then condition the leather that's probably the best thing you can do going back to rubber boots i have a lot of people that treat their boots starting to treat their boots with ozonics ozone scent yeah. killer that's more the like whitetail guy, but a lot of turkey hunters are whitetail hunters too. Be very cautious about using ozone and ozonics on rubber boots because the number one enemy of rubber is ozone and it'll start breaking it down or it will speed that breakdown up. Right. You know, don't let stuff sit out in the sun and get deteriorated by UV. Like, so just it's kind of like a common sense thing. Like, you just want to take care of it. Yeah. And really. And I'm not good at it either. Like, a lot of my footwear, it tends to just get thrown in the back of the truck and forgot about or thrown in a tub and yeah. pull it out next season. And Yeah, there it is. There it is, mm -hmm. right? Hope, so. hope it's in good shape. Yeah. Because if not, you have to get another pair and get them broken in pretty quickly. Yeah. 
yeah. which you know for the lacrosse and Danner products is pretty easy to do. Yeah. Uh, you know yeah. any any leather boots obviously is going to take a little more time to get broken in than that soft rubber. Yeah. Yeah. And so. the other thing too is like on leather boots, treating them and conditioning, putting boot dressing on it, like that sort of thing. Some sense it's like oiling up an old catcher's mitt or a ball glove. It helps helps that break-in process a little bit too because yeah. it loosens things up. Yeah. But then you got to keep on it. You got to keep that stuff fresh yeah. and and conditioned. So. All right. So, in all those interviews, you know, I talked to a lot of owners of companies. I talked to a lot of reps for these companies that exhibit at these shows. And as much as I enjoy doing that, because I really do, I thought, you know, it'd be cool to interview an attendee. Mm-hmm. So my buddy, or I really should say my buddies, Josh McGinley and Abby Hiles, his girlfriend, were at the show. Josh listens to the Turkey Hunter podcast and... I met Josh at the NWTF convention three years ago, and I saw him again last year, bumped into him again this year, and it's kind of funny because, you know, there's only forty-five to 50,000 people that run through the place over yeah, the course of the weekend. What are the odds you're going to see two people that you know every single year you go? Well, <laughs> turns out the odds are pretty good. And so I bumped into Josh and Abby and I said, hey, you know, I would love to interview you guys because it's not like you're just driving two hours or three hours to get here. So I'd like to interview you, find out why it is that you come to this show. And here are Josh McGinley and Abby Hiles to tell us why they come to the NWTF convention every year. Hey guys, I am here with Josh McGinley and Abby Hiles, and they our attendees here at the show and Josh is actually a listener of the show and I met Josh and Abby here what was it three years maybe four years ago and so they just passed by the booth over here and I snagged them and said hey come let's let's do an interview one of the reasons I want to interview you is because this is not a short little wake up in the morning and drive into Nashville to come to the NWTF convention. This is a little bit of a haul for you guys to get here and you've been consistently doing this for several years now. So first of all, introduce yourselves. I've already said who you are, but tell us again who you are, where you're from, and why you're here. Alright, so I'm Josh McGinley. I'm Abby Hiles. And we're from Pennsylvania, just about an hour north of Pittsburgh. And this is my fourth year coming to the show. It's my third. And we just love coming down here. We love the atmosphere. I mean, where else can you spend time with 40,000 other turkey hunters? <laughs> Get to see a lot of good friends. You know, it's my fourth year. I've met a lot of people, gotten to know some guys over the years. So it's a little bit of a family reunion, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. It's a great experience, though. It's a lot of fun. I didn't think at first that you know, it's going to enjoy it, but it's exciting coming back every year and getting to see all a bunch of cool stuff, so. Yeah, yeah, this is, for, for the vendors that have new products, this is the spot. So if you want to be the first one of your friends and hunting partners to have X new product, this is the place to come and get it. Absolutely. 
for sure. So, what is on the floor today that's piqued your interest or have you bought already? Because you walked in, Josh, with a bag, and I know that you don't just carry around an empty bag. So, what's in there? What have you found? What do you like? Uh, you know, one, one of my favorite things coming to this show is getting to see you know, some of the custom coal makers. For yeah. Sure. I mean, anybody can come here and buy product that you can find in your Bass Pro or your Cabela's, but you also get call makers that, you know, custom call makers. And this year, actually, I had a specific interest of catching up with Bob Fulcher with Shade Tree Callers. And I was actually after a trough call, and I ended up walking away with one of his scratch box calls. Mm -hmm. and it sounds fantastic. It's just incredible getting to see all the artwork of the calls. Isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. The, and, I, and I'm not knocking the production calls because right. they definitely have a place in this in this market or else they wouldn't be there. Yeah. But these custom call makers, and I, you know, I've talked about it, I, I feel like, you know, to the point where I'm almost beating a dead horse, you know, but I talked about it after Unicoi, the custom call maker show there in Georgia, and it, I, I mean, it's the artwork. These people are making musical instruments and the amount of time and blood, sweat, and tears and the attention to detail and how much they care about the product they put out is amazing. So I'm going to put you on the spot and no is an acceptable answer. <laughs> are you comfortable enough playing the scratch box to play a Bob Fulcher's scratch box? Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. Now this is a gutsy move by Josh, as you guys <laughs> listening know, because it's going to be out there forever and ever, but now I'm going to make the commitment. If he sounds good, I'm going to ask him to call a turkey in for me. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> That is a that call sounds great. Can I see that? Wow, that's beautiful. So what is what is this call made? What woods? So it this, is, it's got snake, some weight to it. Snake wood and holly, and then the soundboard is mahogany. Yes. Okay. And then the striker is also uh, snake wood and holly, and it also has wood from the original Coney Island boardwalk for the no actual joke. striker. So that's the actual striker came from the Coney Island Boardwalk. That is cool. That is really cool. That is a beautiful call. And it has some weight to it. So, and even the striker has got some, some serious weight to it. You mind if I run it or try to run it? Go ahead. I'm not, not as proficient as Bob or Josh at running a, 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 a scratch box. Let's see. Tammy, will you put this in my bag? Yeah. <laughs> so now Tammy's going to show us all up. Oh, yeah. 
so that's that's awesome so i actually ran into you guys before the show opened up and we were chit-chatting and they opened up the show and you were like hey gotta go <laughs> i gotta go get to, to bob's booth see you later so uh you scored i did yeah you scored so is he having a pretty good show in there i'd say so good good i need to stop by and see him it's been probably three years since i had him on the show yeah. and uh good guy man and he can tell a turkey hunting story too so yeah what else did you what else have you found in there that you well like so far i've been on the fence about it i know about a year ago you had dan harris from dan's custom yeah. calls on and last year i was here and i actually bought one of dan's hen boxes yeah and uh yeah, I came back this year and I found another hen box I really like. <laughs> so we might be going back to see Dan again. It's easy to find a call that Dan makes that you like. Absolutely. It's it's hard to not find several calls that Dan makes that you like. So yes, it's it's funny you he has a table full of calls and you can go through you can play every call and there is one out of there that, I mean, they all sound great, oh, yeah. but there is one that just sounds it, fantastic. It, it, it just speaks to you. Yes. And that's, and that's the thing. So, uh, and I can't remember if I said this on the show after Unicoi, but when I walked up to Dan's table at Unicoi, I literally played every hen box on the table. And after I played them all, I went back and I picked up a few of them and started playing them again. And I'd say, okay, hold this one over here. So he'd put it over in a different pile for me. And I had about three or four of them piled up. And I went back and I played those three or four. And I pulled one or two out. You know, and it's what you said, they all sound great, but we all have that sound of what a turkey, what a hen is in our heads. And that's what we're trying to get our calls to duplicate. And, you know, everybody's hen sound in their head is different, so everybody's going to pick a different call. And I narrowed it down to two calls, and then finally I just looked at Dan and I said, I'm making a big deal over nothing, because every single one of these calls is going to call in and kill a turkey. I know both of those calls will call in and kill a turkey. So, you just pick one. So, he did. He, he picked one of those two, and... I'm tickled with it. I've been playing with it. I've been practicing a lot with them, so I'm excited about that. So are you guys, I know every year that you come, you've been going to the auctions and events at night. Are y'all doing that again this year? So this year we're just going to the kickoff party tonight. Okay. And that's it for this year. Uh, we started, we want to spend some time down in Nashville. Yeah. Every year we come here and we say, we want to go down into downtown Nashville, go down on Broadway. And every year we end up staying here the whole time. <laughs> It's easy to do. It is. I was going to say, it's it's hard to get out once you get in here. I, I say it's hard to get out. It's hard to want to leave once you get in because you're surrounded by people that think like you, have the same interest as you, love to share stories like you do, and it's just, I mean, it's it will feed the need without a doubt. So are you, Josh, traveling anywhere? To hunt this year? Uh, so actually I am. So as you know, I am trying to complete my U.S. Super Slam. Uh, so this year, as of right now, on my schedule for sure is Illinois and Missouri. Great. Um, hoping to fit West Virginia in there, and if I can, I may try to hit a state earlier. Kind of looking at that Easter weekend, maybe going away for a weekend trip. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Abby, have you tricked him into taking you out of state yet? Yeah, um, we went to Ohio last year. That was my first uh, turkey hunt out of state, and it was a lot of fun. It was a great experience. Yeah. Better than PA, or? Yeah, I had more bird encounters in Ohio than I did in PA. Those PA birds can be tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say it's the Alabama of the <laughs> north. Yeah. Yeah, maybe the Alabama of the rest of the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some tough birds yeah. from what I've heard. I've not hunted oh, them, yeah. but yeah. everyone yeah, tells me that it's as much like a southern state as you'll find anywhere else in the country. So, yeah. So, I haven't seen you, Abby, since last year. Tell me a turkey hunting story. Um, like I said, PA was tough. Uh, Tell me about your Ohio hunt. Did you kill? I did not. Okay. No. Couple, uh -oh. couple close uh -oh. encounters. Um, just couldn't get a shot on a bird, and I told him we were hunting together. I said, "There's no point in you not taking the shot, just because I don't have a shot opportunity." I said, "Go ahead, take that oh, bird." Oh no, he so, shot a bird out from under you. I, I wouldn't consider it shooting it out from underneath Gosh. because I didn't have a clear <laughs> shot to begin with. I mean, if I would have had a clear shot, then maybe I'd have been a little not so happy, but. There, like I said, there was no point in him not taking the bird because I couldn't, I didn't have a clear shot, so. It, it was down to the last minute. I mean, they were at 40, 45 yards, and yeah. they were going away, and, you know, it was, I had the last yeah. opportunity. Yeah, they do or die. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, next time you take her out, don't <laughs> shoot a bird her, out from under her, man. Well, you know, just Abby, you're a hunter, so I'm not saying anything you don't know, but just being on those hunts yeah, is Yeah, it's the experience. It's, awesome it's not enough. so much the harvest. I mean, it's just the whole experience of everything. It's just it getting is. out and being in the woods and enjoying the time. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're a good hunter for saying that. You're a very good woman for telling him that he can shoot a bird out from underneath <laughs> you. <laughs> so, yeah. Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you guys stopping by. and Thanks for having us. You know, it's it's what you said, Josh. This is a, a turkey family reunion, and I know that I was excited to get a text message from you last week or the week before and hear that you guys were going to be here again this year. So glad I got to see you, and I know I'll be seeing you several times over the next couple of days yeah. and looking forward to sitting down over maybe a cold Bud Light or something like that over in the watering hole and sharing some more stories. Sounds, Sounds like good. a plan. All right. Y'all enjoy the rest of your show. They're not the only ones that travel a great distance to get there. Mm -mm. I talked to people from Washington State, wow. Oregon, California. They're, they're people from all over the country. Well, and really all over the world when you start talking about the African safari outfitters that are there, too. Yeah. People from all over the world come to that show, and it's something. So while I was there, I wanted to get one more attendee interview. So I grabbed another attendee from the show who is also a listener, and I got Colin Lord to join me for an interview. Colin's a great guy, and again, you know, why are you here? Where'd you come from? And tell us a little bit about yourself kind of thing. So here's Colin to talk a little bit about why he put forth the effort and took time off of work to come to the NWTF convention in Nashville. 
Hey everybody, I am here at the NWTF convention with Colin Lord and Colin and I were chatting a little bit ago and this is his first time at NWTF in Nashville and I just wanted to get him on to do a quick interview and just kind of figure out why. Why are you here? What brought you to the land of the turkeys? I know the answer to it, but I'll right. let you tell us. Well, um, I'm infatuated with the turkeys, and uh, this is the mecca of the turkey world every year. And it is. I had to come check it out. I uh, have a great friend of mine, Todd Finald, who has uh, kind of been my mentor uh, once I kind of got into turkey hunting. Yeah. And he's been here a few times, and he's won a few turkey calling competitions, and he's Sweet. like, man, you need to go listen to these, the professionals, and the, the real deal. So, yeah. number one, I came to buy some products, support the guys, and number two was I can't wait to listen to the senior uh, championship tomorrow. So, yeah. I've made Dave Owens listen to me talk to him a couple of times since I've been here, so I think he's starting to run from me a little bit. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know that Dave would run from you. But, yeah, it's, it is the mecca of all things turkey it's amazing uh i think the thing one is i had no idea it'd be the the number of booths you know I've, I've, oh yeah i've been in the food industry i've been to a lot of national trade shows and done uh product demonstrations and stuff at some really big shows in uh, chicago and las vegas and things like that but this is on par with that mm -hmm. the, the size of it and uh what's really caught my wife's attention and mine is the diversity of the people here i mean it, yeah. It is really an interesting mix it of is. people, and it kind of shows you that uh, everybody, uh, there's all kinds of people that love to chase these birds. So yeah. It's been interesting. Yeah. It, it's, and, and all great people, too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's amazing how you, you can just walk up and strike up a conversation with anybody at this show, and they're not going to look at you like you're crazy. No, it's probably the only place that they won't. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, that's true. I've, I've talked to all kinds of people, uh, you know, some that we've seen on all these YouTube videos and just elevator folks and everybody yep. else. And everybody's just here because they, they love it and they enjoy it. And uh, you know, it's, it's pretty neat. I'm blown away. Yeah. Well, and the timing of the event, is, it's no mistake that the event is held this time of year. Right. And, and it will get you flat pumped up right, like I needed something else right. yeah yeah and so you guys listening don't know this you're about to but I met Colin at Unicoi and so Colin's been to Unicoi that was your first time at Unicoi my second time second time Unicoi okay right. and then now in Nashville so to you, what, how, how do you compare the shows? Because they are vastly different, it's, but yeah. how do you compare? Um, I would say Unicoi is more of a boutique kind of deal because it's, it's, what, 95% call makers yeah. where you have everybody under the sun. Uh, and we're interested in going Saskatchewan deer hunting, and there were some guys here that I got to meet <laughs> that, you know, trying to get us to go to their place. So, I mean, here the diversity of the hunting world is all here. It's, I'd say, like 80% turkey yeah. but there's all kinds of things here that I never imagined there's a guy selling dr uh, covers for uh, uh, drains and stuff that go up to the side of your house and I was really? like man what, what are you doing here but yeah there's I mean there's all kinds of things here so I think for the family and just the diversity of uh, interest this place is amazing but if you 
are really looking for some unique and just die-hard turkey call people, then Unicoi is kind of hard to beat as far as that goes. It is. Uh, and Unicoi to me has, and, and I don't, I'm not knocking the feel of this show, but because Unicoi is a much smaller show and, and it really is a boutique, you know, really focused around the custom call maker because that's what the show is all about. It just has more of a family feel because all those call makers know each other. They may not like each other outside of there, mm -hmm. but when they're there, you know, they're, they're, they act yeah. like it. And yeah, you would never pick up on that as far as a consumer no, in there. Uh -uh. And at, at Unicorn, I kind of made friends with Mr. Olin Humphreys. He, mm -hmm. uh, he built some calls. We had a family tragedy with some friends of mine. and. He was nice enough to build some commemorative calls for the family. Oh, cool. And uh, so since then, he and I have become, uh, so, you know, he knows who I am. I, I come yeah. check him out everywhere I go, and uh, I've, ended up bought, I've bought 15 calls from him so far. So That's awesome. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing you get at Unicoi is a, a real personal experience. But then here, I mean, I've talked to everybody, and everybody will stop and, and give you a few oh, yeah. minutes and, and ask your interest, and it's, it's really nice. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, what has been your favorite thing about this convention so far? And we're now rounding out, so you guys know we're a little, just barely over a day and a half into the show, so we're about halfway through it. Right. What's been your... Um, I guess my favorite thing has just been strolling around the booths, you know, so far and seeing. I haven't gone to any uh, of the speaking engagements, and I haven't seen any of the competitions, which is really what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. But uh, just walking around and talking to the people has been my my favorite thing i i'm i'm not an overly extroverted person but uh it's super easy to see everybody i mean i've seen cuz strickland i've seen the hunting public guys of course dave with the penhody project who's like i've cooked for some really famous people met a lot of famous people in the movie industry and uh he, you know he's the top of my list so uh cool. to to get to meet him and uh I was, he ran out of turkey calls, one guy in front of me this morning, but he, he still gave me a few minutes. And, uh, so that, that's been the highlight so far, but like I said, I'm really looking forward to the competition tomorrow. Yeah. The competition, have you seen any of it? Uh, you know, they've streamed it yeah. for um, the last I watched two or three years. It, I watched him win year before last, okay. and that's where I kind of got to know him or hear of him. And then uh, and I watched it last year, and it, you know, for me, when it, turkey hunting, anything I find, I become infatuated and a little overboard with. So. I don't know what you're talking about. But I know you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. So, is this on your list for things to do for next year? Oh, absolutely. I, um, I think for the listeners, the thing that they would be pleasantly surprised with is I brought my wife, who has never been hunting before, and. Uh, my two youngest sons and a friend, and they're having a ball here at the hotel. I mean, it's a resort. They're yeah. in the indoor water park. The kids are running around. Everything's friendly and unbelievably clean. Yeah, it is. Uh, so I'm not having any problems talking my wife into coming here. You know, every February. So yeah, I, I, we'll, we will be back. Yeah, and you you hit on a good note. I mean, it, it's not quite Disney World right. clean to where you drop a piece of a straw paper on the ground and somebody quietly runs in behind you and picks it up right. but it's not far from it's it. It's not far from it. it it's really it, you know you don't have the adult level of like a Vegas casino mm -hmm. but there's that kind of stuff to do like there's just right. there's stuff yeah. around every corner and that's it's really 
really pretty cool, and it's huge. I mean, it's a giant complex. And it is. You, you literally can get lost in this place. Oh, absolutely. It took me a while to figure out where I was going. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been here, I think, four or five years, I think five or six years now, and I still, every year I kind of learn something about the hotel and the resort, you know, that I didn't know, yeah. oh, this little nook of crannies over here, and yeah, it's... It's a heck of a place. We've made some mistakes trying to take shortcuts so far. So. Yeah, you can run into a wall yeah, or, no or a scare, uh, uh, balcony railing. Yeah, no doubt. Well, very good. Well, I am glad that you made the trip, that you guys made the trip to Nashville to come and experience this. Tell us a little bit about you. Well, I was born and raised in uh, Zachary, Louisiana, and grew up uh, there. Uh, Where is Zachary? Zachary is uh, five minutes north of Baton Rouge, so okay. we're uh, a suburb, basically. As you've seen, I, I like to sport my LSU Tiger gear around, and this year I get to show off for once. Uh, so we love the Tigers. Anyway, I grew up there. I started cooking uh, cooking for money in restaurants when I was 14. Grew up in family-owned uh, steak and seafood restaurants. And in my early 20s, I went to culinary school. Uh, spent 11 years with a French master chef and uh, did all kinds of fun stuff with him. And one thing led to another, and I ended up in the movie and film business. Uh, now I own my own business. I cater movies and TV shows uh, in the Atlanta area. Cool. And um, that's extremely grinding industry. Uh, yeah. And it's, it's pretty tough. So 13 years of that and my wife and I decided we we're going to start some other businesses to uh, maybe make it a little bit easier lifestyle on the younger kids that we have. Yeah. And uh, so that's when we started a company that I was telling you about. It's called The Real Cajun Market. Which will be a, basically a web-based store. Uh, we're starting off where we're selling different flavored uh, smoked sausages. We have like jalapeno and cheddar, bacon and brown sugar, uh, rosemary and roasted garlic, and flavors. We have five or six different flavors we're going to start with, and then we we'll do a lot of uh, Louisiana dishes, like I was telling you about the boudin, mm -hmm. which is probably the most popular straight Louisiana or Cajun sausage style sauces there is and um, we'll do tasso and andouille and yeah. we'll be able to sell jambalaya where we can uh, basically ship things with dry ice and styrofoam boxes and you order it up and we're going to send it to you. Yeah, that's very cool. So, you know, I've got some friends that I actually met in Baton Rouge and I'm not going to go into this long story, but I met them in Baton Rouge many years ago, probably been 17, 18 years ago. And when Katrina came through, they actually left Baton Rouge at that point in time and moved to Birmingham. Okay. And so, and they still got a lot of family in, in the Lafayette and Baton Rouge area, but I get to hear them talk all the time about how they just can't get good boudin anywhere outside of their little go-to places right. in Baton Rouge or Lafayette for Boudin. And so I think there's, because of, and Katrina's not the only reason, but because of Katrina, a lot of people move away from the area mm -hmm. and move to Houston, move to Birmingham, move to Atlanta, right. Nashville, Memphis, you know, and a lot of people just moved out and they miss that connection, that food connection, and it is very much, food in Louisiana connects friends and it connects family. It's, 
it's the basis of most relationships in South Louisiana, and it probably is, you know, around most of the country. It's just what I know. But, you know, what, what you're saying from from Lake Charles to Lafayette to Baton Rouge down that I-10 corridor is like it's some of the best Cajun food you can have. And everybody thinks of New Orleans as being the place, but it's it's really not. Uh, most people think that New Orleans is Louisiana, and it it's just not. totally is not. Absolutely. Um, not. And, and then the displacement of people is really something that uh, we've paid attention to while we've been in Atlanta. Is there, there's so many people either from there or with ties to there. I can't paint myself into another four-wall building because I don't. I, it's gonna, you know, then I can't go turkey hunting when I want to. So I have to try to figure out an avenue to be able to accomplish everything I want to do. So that's that's why we started the business is because I've tried a lot of the restaurants and stuff in the area and what I want is to have a product if, if there was a, a true Cajun fella that came to Atlanta and tried to eat at some of these restaurants he might be a little disappointed so what I want is a product that a Louisianian would be proud of and be able to ship it in and around there so we're, yeah. we're going to do a lot of farmers markets and I love grassroots style business and building things from the ground up and uh, so that's kind of the premise for a lot of what we're doing. Yeah. All right. So tell us how we can order some of these sausages and other Cajun products you're going to be selling because okay. I'm, I'll be buying. I promise you that. Uh, and I when? Like that. When can okay. we get it? We're about a month to a month and a half away from being able to ship and sell. Uh, and a lot of that just depends on when I get the food, you know, the the health department doesn't exactly conform to my timelines, so we're, we're, we have to wait on them to do their deal. But I, I've I got have a hard the, time believing that. I know, right, the government. But the Department of Ag's been great, so we, we're cool with them. We've got everything uh, squared away with them to do what we need to do, and we're waiting on the local health department to come through. So I think safely a month to a month and a half, and I'll definitely let you know so you can let everybody know. The website is realcajunmarket.com www of course then you you can go check it out i'm sure you could just google real cajun market and they'll pull us up uh we're out of uh it'll be out of tyrone georgia where my commissary is uh, uh, we have a commissary for the the movie catering company and yeah. then we just do everything out of the same place and until i can talk my wife into buying some property and building a facility that i can wake up and walk across the driveway to uh, so that's all the plans, but uh, you, the website's already up, so you can go and check it out, and they'll have a little information about myself and my background, and uh, some of the products that we know we're going to offer. And then, and we're just we're going to start off with like eight or nine, ten so products, and then we'll we'll grow it from there, kind of see what works, what doesn't work. But I cook, craft everything myself. I'm very meticulous about that. I've I've been doing it for 32 years. I'm very very proud of what I do. I've, I do everything. What I call the correct way. Yeah. Uh, I don't cut any corners. You're, you're going to get a first-class sausage, plenty of fat. You'll be able to see the meat, and it's not going to look like a hot dog when it gets to you. Yeah. You're going to be able to see the jalapenos and the cheese. You'll be able to see the bacon, and every, every, it's it's in there. You can cut it in half, and you know what you're going to get. And then the flavor, uh, you're not going to be saying what is this. I mean, it's it's pronounced. It's, it's a no doubter, and that's to me that's extremely important. And that, that's what I started this for. So. Yeah. Uh, in South Louisiana, you can go to a grocery store, and there's five or six, seven different products that are really good, Veron's and 
uh, there's just a handful of them down there that make really good sausage. Well, when you go into a grocery store in Atlanta, you find Koneka, and that is it. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to get into the grocery business. That's like trying to wrestle a 600-pound gorilla. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, I do like boutique and, like I said, grassroots. So I think we're in 14 farmer's markets coming up in the Atlanta area. Oh, wow. And I will keep my wife busy. She, she retired from her job to, to start, help me start this business. And uh, so you're going to get authentic South Louisiana food, period. And, and uh, I, uh, I don't know what kind of guarantees we're going to be because I can't buy back your food, but I promise that you'll reorder when you get it. So. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. You know, just real quick, I don't think a lot of people realize how many movies and how many TV shows are actually filmed in the Atlanta area. That it's hundreds. Yeah, I mean it's like the little Hollywood of the South. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, I mean that's what it's been called. The, the movie industry is it it really uh, consolidated there for a while because you know it's all about tax credits and kickbacks to the industry and now there's I'd say probably another 15 or so states that have kind of caught on and are uh, is starting to spread out a little bit but the infrastructure is there I mean I, I literally live five minutes from every from where every Marvel's movie is shot oh wow and a giant studio and we live right around the corner uh, I don't get any of those because they're contracted through another another guy but there's there's just tons of stuff uh, there's you know just a movie in the theaters now that's pretty popular that's it's got a lot of publicity that we did. It's called The Last Full Measure. It's a Vietnam movie. Okay. Uh, but I've done work for Oprah. I've done all of Dolly Parton's movies and Netflix shows and all of her stuff. Uh, I've, I've done a lot of a lot of different things. And um, I've really kind of got into specializing with TV shows because they're repetitive and they have multiple exactly. seasons and yeah. you can actually plan a life around that. Where yeah. in movies is a is a tough tough yeah. road to hoe. But uh, you know we'll take what we can get. Yeah, no doubt. Well, very good. Well, man, I wish you a lot of luck with thank you with the new launch that you're going to have with the website, and and I know it's going to do well. I mean, your wife retired from her job to help you. I, you know, you're going to get after it. I know you are because well, she's going to be pounding on your head. She, she's pretty good at lighting the fire. You know what I'm uh -huh, saying? Uh -huh. I got one of those. Yeah, I'm out. sure. I, will. I know. <laughs> And I'm waiting on a picture from you with a dead turkey. So uh, we're going to provide that. We, uh, we like to do a lot of traveling, and I, I've got uh, I followed Mr. Strickland's advice as to find property with turkeys makes you a little better turkey hunter. So we spent a lot of time on that, and I got a couple of good places. So we'll send you some pictures. I've been Fantastic. watching them already. Fantastic! I like it. All right, man. Thanks, Colin. Man, appreciate your time, Andy. Yes, Thank sir. you so much. All right. All right. I can tell you that I've got my box of boudin on order and as soon <laughs> as Cullen gets to that point to where he can ship I'm getting my box if you guys want a box of boudin or any other kind of Cajun sausage undoey whatever it is you want hit him up and order it heck yeah I mean he is gung-ho all into this I think it's a great concept I'm excited for him I hope it does extremely well and well, I hope it does extremely well for his sake, but also he'll be my connection for Boudin because it ain't easy to get Boudin in Birmingham. That's a fact. It's tough. Yeah, and it's really not easy to get good Boudin in Birmingham. So I'm pumped up. Got about your that. hook up now. Yes, I do. <laughs>
if you guys have not been, you really need to add that on your list of things to do for next year. So after all those interviews, I said, I've made enough noise for the day. I need to go listen to somebody else make some noise. So I wanted to catch the gobbling competition, but I missed the gobbling competition. And I was there to catch the owl hooting competition. I didn't stay for much of it. And I'm going to tell you why, Cameron. Why? The reason I didn't stay for (laughs) all of it is I was a little bit disappointed because there was not a lot of natural voice owl hooting going on. Really? Yeah. And I know the purpose for the competition is to make realistic owl sounds, but I've heard some pretty darn good natural voice owl hooters Mm -hmm. in my time hunting turkeys and with all the people that I've hunted turkeys with. Trust me, I've heard some really bad ones too. (laughs) Like my buddy George, I'm going to tell this real quick. My buddy George, and I, I knew he could not owl hoot natural voice but he and i were hunting together one day and i don't i just do this pretty much with everybody that i hunt with i'm like hey call you know because i get tired of calling i get tired of hearing me call i get tired of hearing me owl hoot i get tired of hearing me blow the crow call so i want to hear somebody else do it so i looked at george and i said hoot and he turned around and looked at me (laughs) with this look on his face and he said me i said there's only two of us standing here hoot and he said uh okay and he rips off some god awful sound that (laughs) i don't even think it was in the owl family of whatever sound it was that he made but i'm just gonna give a you know my interpretation of it it was more like Distance, a Gah! cow. No, no. Oh. A cow goes. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, "That's not what we're hunting." Even though it'd be good eating, I think I'll owl hoot next time. Yeah. So I've heard some bad ones. I've heard some really good ones. I was a little disappointed that so many of the competitors in the owl hooting contest were not actually natural voice calling. So with all that said, our good friend Scott Ellis won the owl hooting competition. And I he hate did? that I missed him. I did not get to hear him hoot. Oh, man. Yeah. So I'm disappointed about that. But I don't think I could have sat there and listened to a whole lot more people blow on an owl hooter and, you know, run through all of the contestants. So wasn't real happy about it. But I'm happy for Scott, obviously, because there's a lot of time practice and a lot of effort that goes into competing and then you know to place is great to win is gotta be fantastic so that was thursday's show so friday morning i wake up head over to the convention center and number one on my list of things to do is to hit these seminars the seminars really started on friday there was the one with bone collector thursday but There were several of them lined up for Friday. And then just a handful, you know, not even a handful, two or three lined up for Saturday. So Friday, the first seminar that I went to was a seminar entitled Connecting Women to Hunting. 
and it was excellent. So Brenda Valentine was the moderator, and they had four women on a panel, and they were talking about their experiences and how they got into hunting. And so it was really eye-opening for me, and I enjoyed that seminar a lot. It's one that I recorded. Mm. We'll listen to it. You know, it'll be an episode, again, probably summertime. A lot of great content in it, but I do want to play a little clip from that one for you guys right now. So listen in close, and we'll see you in a few minutes. All right, the, the first one is probably the most obvious one. Why do you feel it is important to connect women to hunting? The, the mics are on. Why don't we start at one end, and each of you give your answer. Okay. Hey, everybody. I would say that our most recent census has our population at about 50% men and 50% women. However, when we look at our hunting population, it's closer to 85% male and 15% female. Ooh, let's, let's get closer to 50-50. But in addition to that, I think it's really important to note that there are a lot of women out there that were not really given the opportunities or the connections to explore hunting. So I grew up in a non-hunting family. No one I knew hunted. It was not an activity that I would have ever imagined for myself because nobody I knew did it. If it hadn't been for a class that was aimed at recruiting adult hunters, I may have never gone hunting and I certainly wouldn't have ended up in this room doing what it is that I do. I think it's important to note too that women are a great audience because some of us have money we have transportation, we have solidified interests. If we become interested in something, we're probably gonna stick with it. And if we try hunting and I choose to have children, they're gonna be exposed as well. I love hearing stories of how people get into hunting. It is always interesting. Yeah, whether they're male or female. I just yeah. enjoy hearing the stories about how people get into it. and. You know, you're the same way that I am. You were basically raised hunting. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I know that a lot of women are not raised hunting. That mm -hmm. it takes someone like, you know, maybe a boyfriend in college or a husband or another woman who's in the sport of hunting to get them into it. And so did you know that women are actually the largest group of new hunters i don't hunting. doubt it yeah i've seen a lot more a lot yeah. of a lot of wives and girlfriends and everybody are starting to hunt now it's it's pretty interesting yeah absolutely so after that seminar was a seminar with somebody that we know pretty well on this show and that's jeff buds to share the story of his double grand slam from last year it's not just an ordinary double grand slam. It was done pretty quickly. <laughs> that yeah. guy's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. He is. But, you know, and again, I mentioned Jared Larson's passion for on X. Jeff Budd's passion for turkeys is on a different level. You know, we're all rabid about it, but he, he's just on a different level. So I mic'd up Jeff. For his seminar and turned him loose and i left he knew i was leaving but i left because i had another interview to do so this entire seminar with jeff buds is something i haven't heard 
but we're going to listen to a clip of it together right now. Don't ever do the one, two, three, bang. That's another note. When you've got two people and two birds and all that stuff, don't ever do that. I, I say, it's, they're laughing because they tried it. But it's going to fail. If the second shooter, and if it's the dad, the person that shot the most, the person doesn't need it, whatever, whoever needs it or is the least experienced, they need to shoot. Don't say one, two, three. Don't say, I'm getting ready to. When that safety gets off, that other shooter better be doggone ready. Because when you do the one, two, three, was it shoot on three or one, two, three, then shoot on four? <laughs> and if you're with the kind of guys that I run with, they're shooting on two. <laughs> so just know, don't try the one, two, three, boo, okay? But anyway, so Blake shot, and I shot with my gun again, of course, and, and uh, we, so we doubled on Osceola's, and, and it was on. Bud's is always entertaining. And always. Always full of good information. Definitely. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's... Any, anybody who's been around turkeys much as that guy. Is somebody you need to listen to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's he's just killed, you know, something like 450 turkeys. There's He doesn't know anything about it. Yeah. And that that's like just the Grand Slam ones. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Well, the reason that I left him, I told you before I played the seminar with him, the reason I left him was to go do an interview. And the interview that I did was with Brad Luttrell from Go Wild. And... For you guys who've not heard of Go Wild, it's, well, let's just say it's like a little bit like Facebook, Instagram for hunters and outdoors people. Yeah, it is. Very similar. Yeah. And it's a pretty cool little app. Yeah, it's a good concept. I've I've been playing around on it. It's pretty interesting. Yeah. And speaking of that, so Cameron and I both are on Go Wild. And so I'm going to, I hate to share this, but I'm going to do it. Don't do it. In just a second. Not right now. But you guys who get on Go Wild and join, be sure to look up me and Cameron and connect with us on Go Wild. So Go Wild, this is what I didn't want to tell you. Go Wild has a little contest going on. And for everyone who, I know it, I know, because you need Kentucky. I know. I haven't killed there yet. You're just going to have to win it fair and square. So... Anyone who joins Go Wild can look through the posts on Go Wild and you'll find a post that says register to win a turkey hunt. And it is not a just a regular old turkey hunt. It's a turkey hunt in Kentucky. Hey, that's good enough. Trust me. Turkey hunt in Kentucky is fantastic. But it is winning a turkey hunt in Kentucky with Jeremiah Dowdy from Field to Plate. So you're going to go kill some turkeys. You're going to go, and this guy's going to cook a heck of a meal for you. And it's sure to be a good learning opportunity and a good experience, and you guys can register for that hunt, and you can join Go Wild at the same time. So here is... And I'll tell you all about the hunt after I get done with it. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And here's Brad Luttrell. We go wild to tell us all about go wild. It's not the biggest barrier that keeps people from hunting. It's it's time and it's knowledge. So if we can give you more knowledge, 
and you spend less time spending like having to prepare and think about it uh, you know you still got to find ways to peel off from your family or take your kids or get right. away from work or whatever yeah. you're trying to do that part you do have to work out a little bit on your own I can't help you with your spouse but the uh, the the things that we can do is make knowledge more accessible make it easier to find mentors and then even with finding WMAs, I mean, within our state where I am in Kentucky, I see people all the time that are trying to find a place to hunt. And I've seen this, like, in particular, near, I use the near me for where I'm at. Yeah. And I see people talking about this one WMA, and they're happy to recommend that as a great place to start. So I think the, the retainment piece to me is the most challenging. You know, getting yeah. somebody to buy a, a license once is a good start, but it's nowhere near the end goal. You know, right. how do we create lifelong hunters? Yeah, yeah, no doubt. So, you know, we, we've talked about the opportunity that users will have to, to be able to get on the app and learn more about hunting, fishing, hiking, whatever it happens to be that they're interested in in the outdoors. But what, I mean, there's, there's a social aspect to this yeah. app, and that's really the basis. Yeah, uh, the, Yeah, the foundation of the, of the app. So walk us through that, that feature or benefit of the yeah. Uh, we started as a social platform, and we're still m mostly that. I mean, we do have that e-commerce feature that helps sure. you find gear, but, I mean, most of this is about connecting with other people. And so th there's there's a couple different ways that you can share your story. So you can post, post your picture, just post a caption, or just a straight-up words, no, no picture. You can do that just like you can with any other app. And it's going to, instead of just sharing it, you're going to choose what category. So what that's doing okay. is it's putting it in that appropriate forum or trail. So if I have a question about hog hunting and I want to post that and get the best answers, I need to put that in the appropriate trail. So we even we have a keyword recommendator. Like it'll it'll tell you where you should probably put this. And you know, typically our our content hangs around for a couple of days. So you'll get a couple of days of good feedback on that. That's a great way to start using the platform. Posting pictures, posting questions. There are unique ways you can share within our platform, though. We have a really popular feature called the trophy section, and. This has more than 200 species of animals in it, fish, turkey, uh, deer, sheep, bears, and we've essentially created a, our own scoring system that lets you and your buddies kind of compete, but it's also, it's building in thought leadership into your profile. So, you know, if you think of Reddit karma, if anybody's used Reddit, you post, you get interactions, you get upvotes, and you get a higher score. Go out very much operates in the same way. So okay. if I share a whitetail that I, I got this past season, we ask you a bunch of questions about it. And what we're doing is learning about that process. So it looks at, did you use a, a gun or a bow? And what, what was the distance? You know, was it a 80 yard shot or a 40 yard shot? Public land, private land, what, what was the, the spread on the antlers? And it asks you all this information about it. And it's collectively looking at your animal versus the other animals in the system uh, based on the data that you inputted. And it gives you a score and it's not a, uh, Pope and Young or Boone and Crockett score. It's not anything that you, you're going to take to your taxidermist to be proud of. Right. But what it does is it, it, your profile score is going to go up a little bit more. So when conversations do start, and I can see that so-and-so posted a question about turkey hunting, and oh, there's Andy answering this question. He seems to be getting a lot of upvotes. Does Andy know what he's talking about? I go into your, your profile. Okay, I see that Andy's got a whole lot of turkeys logged on his trophies. So the guy's hunted some turkeys. He, I should probably listen to him on this call recommendation. And then just overall, I can see that you have a higher score. You're a more engaging member. You know, you, you're doing more than Joe Schmo, who didn't even update his picture on the platform. I'm not going to trust Joe. I'm going to trust Andy, right? All right. After that interview, I ran back upstairs to the seminar rooms because our friends at Primos were about to put on a seminar that 
originally was titled Tips for Killing More Gobblers, but they changed it. Still the same concept, but it was really more or less what not to do to kill gobblers. Hmm. And so it was a pretty neat little spin on a seminar topic, and it was really entertaining. I recorded that one as well. We had multiple presenters for it, so I was the one who was mic'd up. I was not presenting, but when we have multiple presenters at a seminar, it's really difficult to mic up one person and get good audio with everyone else who speaks. But this seminar is pretty good, and we're going to hear all of it at some point this summer. There's something in this seminar that is insane. It's just insane. And that's the clip I'm going to play for you right now. So listen in close, and we will see you in just a minute. This is the last one. I'm going to let y'all go. But when the struggles become overwhelming and the gobbler, at getting, getting gobblers into the range, close in the range, bring this up. This is what you do, okay? Just remember this. It's, it's a foolproof method. Trust me. That's all turkey tracks. San Antonio River is right there. That's where those turkeys are roosting right here on that river. They're using this road to travel back and forth. We set up about 300 yards from the field and get ready. And is it long before the big drove of turkeys we blast in the field is right on top of us? With the turkeys all wadded up, Troy and Brad never got a clear shot. So we just wait for the fire and we will know exactly where to be in the morning. That's when something a little out of the ordinary happens. So I hope you guys enjoyed that little clip. Just in case you guys didn't really get the whole picture because the audio is not that great, 
I know you didn't see the video. What happened is the two guys from Primo's were on either side of this road and the turkeys were coming up the road to go and roost. Well, there's a new power line on this road that the rancher put in to operate a well on a pond just up the road from where the guys are hunting. And as these turkeys are walking up this road to roost, one of them takes off flying and touches both power lines as it's flying, and it killed him. And you heard Brad say, it killed that sucker dead. But it sure did. That was the craziest thing I've ever seen. That is... For it to happen, first of all, is like, you know, I would say one in a million, but they said that there were two or three other turkeys that had died that were underneath that power line, so this had been happening. (laughs) But to be there and witness it is one in a million, without a doubt. And it was a gobbler. Yeah, a nice one. Yeah. I mean, I just, you'd think maybe a Jake, but I mean, it was a full-grown gobbler. Yeah. Yeah. So, had been on the earth for at least two to three years and hits a power line and kills himself. Mm Mm-hmm. So, let that be a lesson to you. Don't touch two power lines at the same time. Yeah, definitely not. So, after the Primos seminar was the seminar put on by Eddie Salter and Harold Knight about hearing and locating distant gobblers. And so I tricked Tammy into going into that seminar and recording that one while I went down and did another interview. So let's listen into a little clip from Eddie Salter and Harold Knight, and we'll catch you here in just a minute. I got one other little call here that I know it ain't one in the building for sale. But it's one of my old tricks, turkey hunting. I used to hunt LBL, one of the biggest places in the United States for turkey hunting, to kill a turkey. And, uh, and down in some places he hunts in Alabama, I've hunted in Alabama for 30 some years, and I'll tell you what, they tough down there places. But this is a hawk call. I love this call up in the day, and a turkey will answer this one and won't answer nothing else. that high-fit sound, he's heard croak sounds, he's heard owl sounds, he's heard cutting on a mouth call, he's heard it all. But that right there will make him turn loose and gobble. And when he does, I put it up, and I try to get in and set up on him and give him a little soft yip or something. And that's really helped me kill turkey, especially up in the day and afternoon. And if I can tell any, all oh, this is 60-something years I've turkey hunted in a row. And let me tell you something. I want y'all to all to know them suckers humble me every year. They put me on they put me on my knees and I said, what do I need to do next to call a turkey up? I ain't got it figured out. Eddie ain't got it totally figured out, nobody else. That's the reason I like turkey hunting. Because about the time I think I've got it all figured out, he shows me that I don't know much of nothing. But anyway, hunting them for 60 plus years, you do learn some things. And one thing I tell all of you, if I was a young So that's going to be another seminar that's going to be new to me when I hear it because I haven't heard the whole thing. So it'll be pretty interesting to hear it when we get ready to play that one later in the summer as well. Yeah. Friday, again, a bunch of interviews, a bunch of seminars, and I'm getting ready to go to a meet and greet that Go Wild was putting on. So Go Wild was the sponsor for the media 
area at the NWTF convention. And I'm getting ready to go there. And this guy walks up to me and he says, are you Andy? And I said, yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, he listens to the podcast and, you know, was just going to say hello because a lot of the listeners of the podcast came by, stopped by the booth and said hello. And I appreciate that. I really enjoy talking to you guys anytime that I'm anywhere that you are. You know, it's always fun for me to, to meet you and learn a little bit about you and talk turkey as well. So this guy stops me and he says, well, no, my name's Ben Odo and I am a writer for the Nashville scene. And I'm here to do an interview with some of the people about the NWTF convention. And I'm not a hunter. And I'm just trying to find out why. Why is there going to be 50,000 people to come through the Opryland Convention Center this weekend who are gung-ho about turkeys? What is it about turkeys and turkey hunting that would drive that many people through this location over, over three days? I was like, yeah, I want to talk to you about that. I said, well, do you have about six hours? He kind of looked at me like I was crazy. After I talked to him for an hour and 45 minutes, I was, I'm was i pretty sure he knows that I'm not crazy when I said, do you have six hours? Because I could still be talking to him about it. So he and I talked for a while. I recorded our conversation, and he took some notes, and he made a few references to our conversation in his article that he wrote. But if you guys want to check that out, Go to Google and just type in Ben Odo, that's O-D-D-O, Nashville Scene, that's S-C-E-N-E, like a movie scene, and N-W-T-F. And I'm sure that article will pop up. Now, I'm going to tell you that he probably focused on my wife more in that article than he did me. Because (laughs) she told him that he does not need to be making fun of people at the convention because they're crazy about turkeys. And he knew that she was serious. And I am pretty sure that he knows that she won't hesitate to drive three hours to Nashville to kick his rear end. (laughs) So he makes reference to my wife in the article because she made quite the impression on him. (laughs) But, you know, he... I think what, you know, his original thought about the article was going to be that there's got to be something wrong with us turkey people to go to Nashville, spend the kind of money we spend to go there, take up the time off of work that we take off to go there and do all this over a turkey, a bird. And I, I get it, but I think that he really realized in his conversation with me and the other people that he interviewed while he was there that there's a reason that we're passionate about it mm-hmm. so i thought it ended up being a really nice article and you know you guys check that out if you want to read it yes yeah. so friday night you and audrey both missed out on some really good indian food i'm sad i missed that yeah i like indian food yeah this is some of the best that i've ever had it's fantastic all right we'll have to go next year Definitely. We go every year. So you just need to be there and go with us. Saturday, I had an eight o'clock interview scheduled with someone who no called, no showed. 
I'm not mentioning names, but after a couple of beers and some Indian food Friday night, I could have used an extra 30 minutes of sleep Saturday morning, (laughs) but I didn't get it. So I had on my schedule to mic up Travis Sumner, who is the hunting heritage coordinator with NWTF. I was going to mic him up and record his seminar about planning a mentored hunt while I went and did my interview. Well, since my interview didn't show up, that gave me a little bit of time to go and, and I mean a little bit of time to go and walk around the show floor for a minute. So I've got a clip from the planning a mentored hunt seminar with Travis Sumner for you guys right now. We're going to listen to that. But then after Travis's seminar ended, he brought my recorder back to me and he and I sat at my booth and talked even more in depth about planning a mentored hunt. And I've got probably another 45 minutes of that interview that I'll be playing for you guys at some point this summer as well. But right now, we're going to jump in and listen to a little bit of the Planning a Mentored Hunt seminar that Travis put on. So listen in close, and we'll see you here in a minute. And, and when it comes to this, I know you're sitting there in your mind, and you're thinking, okay, well, this is how much money we have. That's going to determine what you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about She's going to show an example when it comes to, you know, how long your events, what your planning stages are. And if you look on the sheet that we give you, this is months in, in advance. Yeah. And, and this really helps you determine and you know the quality of events you're going to do you know how well it's going to work for you if you've got a plan hey we want to do a whole weekend you know those are great two hours you know bring them in for two hours and then there's this leads up to something else down the road so it's kind of what we're doing there at the headquarters uh, sometimes we host two it's an overnight stay um, and we just really have to decide all right what can we do how can we afford to do this and I know that question is going to pop up. Well, you know, how do we afford to take care of folks overnight and cook and do? And, you know, if you look on the sheet, we talk about that in there on the strategies of what setting up committees uh, to help utilize that. But it, with this up here, and Michaela will talk about it a little bit later because she's got a really good example, partnerships. I think if you can partner with folks to help support it, um, it will make these events help you decide how long and, and how much you want to do. Yeah. And because Travis brought up money, um, I get a lot of questions about that. Yeah, how do I afford it? And I think it's okay to not be scared to charge for an event. That is perfectly okay. That is what people expect in 2020. Uh, not much is free anymore. And as long as you're offering a quality program and they're getting something out of it, they're willing. They're willing to pay for that. And um, I'm not saying let's all turn a profit. And you know, if you can break even, I think that's something that we look at. But yeah, I will. I'll. Both of us can probably relate to this is when you set up your event and you've heard her talk about registering your event through us whether it's a huge event or if you're just taking one person we want to know if you take a friend out register that but also what you can do there is once it's registered and you've got that online make sure you get your money up front so then that helps you decide how what your link's going to be you know for me if I break even I'm good with that yeah so all right after all of that I had two interviews left. One of my interviews was with Michaela Ray and Johanna Dart, who are R3 coordinators for their respective states. And R3 is a pretty hot topic with NWTF, but not just the NWTF, but a lot of different conservation 
organizations right now, and our federal government, by the way. So I'm going to play a little bit of the interview that I did with Michaela and Johanna, and we're going to listen to more of that later this summer as well. Listen in, and we will see you on the other side. Where do we go from there after, obviously, if there's interest in moving that forward, where... I think one of the most important things about mentoring someone one-on-one is asking. So remembering that it's not, however we've come to experience hunting, it isn't about us this time, it's about them. So uh, every step along the way, you want to check in with this person. Why are they interested in hunting? What is it that they're wanting to learn from you? What is it about X, Y, or Z that they're wanting to get to? So if they're interested in hunting for the food, well, would you like to start with some wild game, you could do a wild game tasting and teach them about different options and what they taste like and then that'll help you narrow down what species they want to try. You don't know what you don't know so, you know, this is what deer hunting looks like in Ohio, this is what turkey hunting looks like in Ohio versus small game. I think that it's a, a really interactive process between the two of you but I think the most important thing for me is making sure you're asking them along the way and not assuming that you know anything. So. Maybe they've never shot a gun and they really want to start with bow. That sort of yeah. sets the expectations for what species you're going to try and set them up with. So I think as long as you're checking in with them, it can be collaborative and it's much more enjoyable for both, I think. And I think it's important to remember that everybody moves at a different pace. We might not all move through the outdoor recreation adoption model at the same pace as the other person. So I might need a few more interest events or a few more yeah. trial events than what Johanna might need. I mean, to be honest, I sat in that awareness phase of the outdoor recreation adoption model for like five years probably. I mean, I just went. I watched, I observed, I learned from watching, but honestly, I didn't really try doing it on my own until after I was married, so after college. Um, So yeah, everyone moves at a different space. All right. Now, you guys know that I'm a fan of Apex shotgun shells, TSS loads, Mm -hmm. and... They've actually got a new load out, a new shell out this year. And so I wanted to get somebody from Apex on to talk to us a little bit about their new shell. So I grabbed Jason Lonsberry, who's one of the owners of Apex, and we did a quick little interview. And I'm going to play that for you guys now. So here's Jason, and Cameron and I will see you in a minute. Hey guys, I am here with Jason Lonsberry and John Lewis with Apex and we are chit-chatting a little bit about, well, what else do you chit-chat about at the NWTF convention? Turkey hunting, shotgun shells, TSS, and these are the experts on it right here and so I wanted to get them over. They've got a new product that's out. It's the Ninja, and I want them to explain a little bit about what is the difference in the Ninja and the other products. What what is the rave about right now? Uh, Andy, it's a uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to be out here with you again. I see you every year, just like everything else we do out here. Um, our uh, our new Ninja series. It's uh, co-branded by uh, Woodhaven Custom Calls. We dubbed it our Turkey Ninja line after their sub line, Turkey Ninja. 
And we did a, a little market study a few years back, a small batch run of eight and a half shot. Our most popular shot size has been nine. You know, and, and contrary to a lot of belief that's out there, um, you know, it's it's about as powerful as a five shot lead. So guys who don't know what TSS is, they look at this tiny little shot size, they're kind of freaked out by it. Uh, not think it's going to have any kind of knockdown power. Um, but they love that nine because of the pattern density it can put on paper. Right. Uh, between a, you take a 20 gauge and you give it that capacity of a 12 gauge. Uh, and then we have the ability to take a really good sub gauge like a 28 or even a 410 and give, you know, um, either men who don't want to hold a heavier gun out in the woods or you have a new, a new kid you want to take out who's a little concerned about the recoil of a bigger gun. Or, or you know, even even like your wife or, or any uh, females looking to get out with smaller smaller body frames. Yeah. And now they're just as lethal as anybody carrying you know a three and a half inch magnum load in a 12 gauge shotgun. So what we did was we took that popular nine shot and we wanted to marry it up a little bit. So we split it down to an eight and a half shot. Okay. And uh, what we did with that was it gives us that pattern density of a nine shot, but the knockdown power of an eight. It's kind of like a perfect shot size. So a lot of guys with him and holler by going between nine and eight because I want more pellets or I want more knockdowns. So we're like, let's kind of give them both. Yeah. And um, it's really cool because if a guy is trying to go, they, I, they've been shooting nines, they can expect the same overall performance out of the eight and a half. They don't really need to go and pattern again. Okay, I recommend Right, exactly. So I, I recommend it just so they can see it and have that confidence. Just like we all do, if you drop your gun, you know, you bust your sight, you're going to put a new one on, you're going to re-sight it. Anytime I change my equipment, I know Mr. John here, when he changes anything, he's super good about going out there and re-patterning that gun and making sure he's dialed in. Yeah. Um, so it, it offers up a really good, perfect size shot to kind of give guy that slight little option of, I want the pattern density, I want the knockdown power, we can kind of give them both. And it's been great. With our 410 in the Ninja series, we left it with nine and a half shot. And that 410 bore, we found that uh, like nine shot, bigger shot size doesn't pattern quite as well. It carries far, but it loses its density once you get beyond about 20, 30 yards. And it drops real quick. So we left at nine and a half, and what we did instead was we bumped up the payload to seven eighths. So it's, it's got a good little bit of knockdown power to ours is 27 30 seconds, theirs is seven eighths. And um, it kind of gives you a little buffer between whichever one you like to go with. A guy has a 410, he knows how to perform more. He sticks with it. You want to try something new, you want a little extra kick and a little bump in that 410, go for it. You and I have probably both seen, I know John's been out here kind of pushing a lot of the 410s, talking about the 410s. Um, that the 410 is like the new thing right now. It's, it's pretty hot and going right now. You like yeah, it? it is. I've, I've been hunting with the 410 now for about about a year, going on a year, year and a half, and I found out that you can kill a turkey at 40 yards efficiently shooting our 410 loads. Uh, there's a couple of products out there. One of them's the CVA Scout. Uh, I'm going to pattern that gun and test some chokes in that gun here next week, and I'll let everybody know online, you know, what I get out of that gun as far as patterns. Uh, I've been shooting a 301 Savage uh, made by, uh, excuse me, a Stevens 301 made by Savage, and uh, been having a lot of success with it on hunts. I like that three and a half pound gun as opposed to a larger gun like a 20 gauge or a 12 gauge. Three and a half pound gun. 
Why do you like that lighter gun? Well, because I'm 62 years old, and when it comes to toting a gun, I like the lighter better. Lighter the better. I can tote that thing up the hills in the valleys, and I can also, when I fall asleep at the bottom of a tree, it's easier for me to get that 410 up and get that turn. Oh, like, like a mid-morning nap? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Absolutely. <laughs> in your afternoon Absolutely. nap? My mid-morning <laughs> naps and my afternoon naps. You know, I, I tend right. to take a nap every now and then. I enjoy a good nap. He's real good at that. Yes, sir. All right, so after all of that, Cameron, I'm sitting there at the table in the booth and I'm kind of getting my stuff organized and thinking that I've pretty well got all my interviews wrapped up and I get a text message. I get a text message from Brian Perry who is on the NWTF National Board of Directors and he says to me, hey, do you have time for an interview? Well, am I going to say no? Heck yeah, I got time <laughs> for an interview, man. Come on. So he comes to the booth and he says, well, do you want to have Parks Shackleford join us too? Yeah, the more the merrier. So he texts Parks and Parks comes in and sits down. While they're sitting there, Mike Evans walks by, another NWTF board member, and they holler at Mike and Mike comes in. So we have a really good, even though it was a very choppy, and I'll tell you why in just a second, talk about the direction that the NWTF is going and the direction the NWTF needs to go. So the reason my interview with those guys was so choppy is because we kept getting interrupted by the loud PA guy who just all of a sudden had what seemed like a hundred announcements he needed to make. And rather than making them all at once, he kind of drug it out a little bit. He'd make one He'd be quiet for five minutes. He'd make another one. He'd be quiet for two minutes. He'd make another one. So we kept getting interrupted during this interview. I'm going to play just a short little clip of it now. We'll play some more of it later on this year. But here are Mike Evans, Parks Shackelford, and Brian Perry with the NWTF Board of Directors. And Cameron and I will catch you in just a minute. So, thank you guys. And what's kind of... I guess been the number one topic for you guys on the board over the past week that y'all been here and where the NWTF wants to go from here. Well, thank you, Andy, and it's great to be here and glad to have your podcast and get to know it. Um, first of all, I think we need to say that the NWTF is, is stronger than it's ever been, and I think we have a very bright future. Um, we are committed to all the things we have done in the past and the strength of the organization, but we also recognize you can't stand still in this world. You've got to be moving forward. True. And we've got to figure out not only how to get more of our traditional turkey hunters to, uh, to, to be members, but also how to broaden our membership. Not alienating and not getting away from what our mission is, but there are a lot of folks out there we need to reach. Look, let, let's face it, we're a bunch of old white men sitting around here. There are a lot of folks that are involved in conservation and involved in hunting and love the outdoors. And us trying to, we, we've got a lot of experts that come in to try to understand the different generations, how everybody thinks. There are a lot of young folks that are really interested in getting involved, but how do we reach them? How do we make them feel welcome in this organization? How do we most importantly utilize their talents? Because they've got a lot of talent that we don't have. We've got to recognize that and ask them for their expertise. All right, folks. We've got a, we've got a little longer 
you know, those guys are very much in touch with where the NWTF is today, where they were 10 years ago, and where they want the NWTF to be 10 years from now. Mm -hmm. They've got a good, what I feel like is a good plan together to get there. They understand that it's going to take people like you and me, Cameron, to Mm -hmm. help get the word out about the NWTF and what all the good things that the NWTF is doing. And so, you know, we can expect to hear a lot more from the powers that be with NWTF and they, they want to get a little bit more involved with this show. So I'm a fan of the NWTF. There are some people out there listening to this show and some people out there just in general who are turkey hunting that are not necessarily fans of the NWTF. And to those of you who are not necessarily fans of the NWTF, I say join, get involved, and change it. If you don't like the direction that the organization is going, change it. Yeah, it's a good point. And that's really what it boils down to. So, hey, speaking of that, let's do this. I got one other little clip that I'm going to play, and that's of the Senior Open Championship, the Calling Championship, the Grand Nationals. But before we get into the Grand Nationals and tell everybody who the big winner of the Grand Nationals is, let's give away a turkey call. All right. You want to do I'm that? in. Let's do that. Let's give one so, away. Here's, here's what I want to do. Any of you guys listening to this show who are not members of the NWTF, if you will join the NWTF and if you will send me and Cameron proof that you have just joined the NWTF, we are going to give you the chance to win a turkey call. And I have it right here. This is a Zinc Calls Thunder Ridge Slate. And it comes with an instructional DVD, Turkey Time University, that is an instructional DVD about mouth and friction calling. So if you guys join the NWTF, send me and Cameron proof that you've joined, which can be just your receipt that you've paid, which will show your membership number. Email that proof to me, andy at imturkeyhunting.com. Andy at imturkeyhunting.com. And let's say March 31 will cut off the entries. And I'm going to let Cameron pick a number between one and however many entries there might be. Whatever number he picks, that will be the person who wins this call. So I like it. Now, I can already tell you that there's not going to be a bunch of entries into this contest because so many of you guys listening to the show are already members of the NWTF. But for those of you who have not joined, who go ahead and join, you're going to have a pretty darn good chance of winning this call. So I'm looking forward to seeing proof that you are now an NWTF member. Just a little bit extra incentive for you guys to join. Hey, they really do great things. No organization is perfect by any means, but they do way more good than they do bad. So very much a family organization, very much focused on the critter that we love to love. And that's wild turkey if you didn't know it. All right. Do you know who won the Grand National Calling Championship, Cameron? Matt Van Size. Yep. Matt Van Size. Dave got second, right? Dave Owens got second. And, I mean, these guys are just ridiculous. Do you want to hear from Matt? 
Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> let's hear from Matt, and then let's wrap it up. All right. Hey, guys. I'm standing here with our 2020 NWTF Grand National Calling Champion, Matt Van Sice. And, you know, been here, done that. No big deal, right? Oh, come on now. <laughs> no, it's, no, it's not that. It's, uh, you know, I didn't call last year in the open division, so probably a little more nervous coming here. you got to make the cut. Last time I called, I didn't have to make the cut because I was a return world Return, champion yeah. or something um, so right off the bat you know the nerves are different the fear is you know I think I still have it in my mind I still do but do you because right. these guys are well these guys are at a little different level now than what than what it used to be and it's a different format it is. this is only my second year calling in this format so there's a lot of questions when you when you, you know is it gonna work right yeah you know, it takes a lot of air it's, it's just a different it's a different thing. Yeah. Well, and it's something I was just talking to Michael about. You, you come to this, me as an observer, and I cannot imagine what it's like as a competitor, but as, a, as an observer, you come to this and you think, good gosh, man, this calling's insane. How can it get any better? And then you come next year, and it's better. It's going to get better. And then you come next year, and it's better than that year and the year before. I mean, I don't, I, I sit here in, in awe because I don't know what's next. You know, how does how does it improve? And I know it's going to improve, but, you know, different. And what it's going to be is it's, you know, somebody new comes along, it's a different hen turkey that nobody's done on this yeah. stage before. So, you know, well, that's what it is. Your, your calling, obviously, was great, and I'm not the only one that thought that, but every one of these guys today were, were fantastic and, you know, it's it's awesome to see but what i guess what kind of advice would you have for someone that wants to dip their toe into competitive calling i mean what practice wise what what are they going to be getting themselves into with all this well i mean it depends on how deep you want to get into it but it's uh there's a lot of callers that still do they still try to sound like the winner previous year's winner doesn't get you anywhere. You, yeah. It gets you second, third, fourth, fifth. You you have to be an innovator. You have to sound different than everybody else. And the only way to do that is to listen to turkeys and and consistently day in day out try to sound like them. Yeah. Yeah. How many hours a day do you spend practicing? It varies. I mean, it's uh, there are there are times when I don't spend much, but I also am a call builder, so I run box calls almost every day. Um, the diaphragm calls I don't spend as much time with anymore. So, but I, I haven't really done a whole lot of anything new, and so I, I don't have to spend as much time. It's basically getting your air right and things like that. Yeah, yeah. very good, man. Well, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I know you got a full slate still ahead of you yeah. with not much time left in the show, but you got a new decoration for the front door because I know if I were you, that's where I'd be going. So. <laughs> Congrats to you. Thank you. All right. Good luck this season, too. Thank you. All right. Thank you. you know, I think he was still a little bit in shock from winning because <laughs> when I told him, I was kind of like, eh, you know, been here, done this. What's, you know, no big deal. I was joking around, obviously. He was very serious. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, yeah, no, no. Uh-uh. So... That is, I just cannot imagine. I mean, I'm not the greatest caller in the world, so obviously for me to get up in front of a crowd like that and try to call would be 
hilarious. <laughs> but these guys are that good. But they also know how good the competition is. And so they are serious about it. You know, they're they're serious about getting up there and performing well, and they're serious about the competition. And to me, it just makes it that much better. So it was, that was a group of callers that I'd love to have all sitting together in the woods behind me <laughs> when I had a turkey goblin on the roost in front of me. Because I'd like your odds. Yeah. If they wouldn't sound like an entire flock of hens and jakes, I don't know what would. So that would be, that'd be pretty cool. But it's impressive. I mean, they really are seriously getting better every single year. If it's somehow, I, I just don't know how it's possible, but they're doing it. But man, that was, that was it. We, we loaded up Sunday morning and got on home and got everything unpacked. And, you know, it just, was a great trip. I mean, tons of tons and tons and tons of great content for you guys listening. And I'm excited about bringing more of it to you, man. I mean, that show just gets you fired up for Turkey season. So it kicks it off. It does. It really does. Well, this show is going to run about six hours longer than I wanted it to, (laughs) but I just had that much content for you. And, you know, I wanted to drag Cameron through the mud a little bit about it and, you know, make him upset that he missed it because he missed a good time. But I did. I can tell that much. Yeah. Yeah. It was action packed, jam packed, and just a heck of a good time. So I'm, I hate to wish myself a year older because that means I would just blow right through turkey season that's right around the corner but i'm looking forward to next year's convention and i hope that you guys listening will make it and i know cameron's going to make it this coming year so i'll do my best (laughs) give me mom's phone number and i'll say please don't plan a family vacation this week yeah and i know date so i know yeah but man i've talked a lot we've got a lot of content it's getting late i'm a little bit delirious and we need to get up and get after it tomorrow morning. So what do you say we wrap this thing up? You have a calling tip for us? This week's calling tip is make turkey sounds that aren't just calls. We've touched on this before. And I mean, you talked about how we killed the turkey in Mississippi. We flew across the creek. We flapped a wing, acted like we had sailed across the creek like a turkey would. Put yourself in the shoes of a turkey. Turkey scratched the leaves. Turkeys fly down, turkeys fly over creeks, turkeys stand up, stretch their wings and flap, make sounds that turkeys make that aren't just yelps, clucks, purrs, cuts, gobbles, calls like that. Excellent they make too. many more sounds like that. Excellent job. That is this week's calling tip. Fantastic, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate you staying up about three hours past your bedtime to get this show done. And Absolutely. Look forward to sharing some more of that content with you from the convention. And man, can't I'm looking wait. forward to your hunt nine days from now. So I really can't wait for that. I'm excited about seeing some pictures from you. So it'll be. A oh good time. man, I hope so. It'll be a heck of an experience. You'll love it. I'm telling you, it's, it's unlike anything that you've ever done before. I know. I can't wait. I cannot wait. So good deal. Well, I'm going to say the favor of this week is 
if you guys listening to the show would once again forward this show via the share feature of your podcast player application, that would be a huge help to me yes, and Cameron. If you'll send that to two people in your contact list, then that would be huge. I'd, I'd appreciate it a bunch. It'll help your two people out too. They'll probably appreciate it. They definitely will. Hey, we've done some planning today as well, and I'm going to tell you, these next few weeks, you guys are going to want to tune in. So don't go oh, yeah. anywhere. Be sure when those episodes download into your podcast player application that you listen to them because we are going to bring it here over the next few weeks. And oh, yeah. then that's going to lead us into our hunts. Well, hopefully we'll have hopefully hunts to share. <laughs> bring lots of content when we get to hunt time. Yes, indeed. And we will be sharing our hunts with you guys. So I'm looking forward to that. And the feedback that I got at the NWTF convention from the hunts was just great. I mean, everyone that I ran into that at the show mentioned to me how much they enjoy the episodes where I have replayed the audio from my hunts and kind of mm-hmm. walked them through and relived those stories with them. And so we're going to be bringing those to you guys this coming season. You're going to have them from me and from Cameron, and my buddy Scott McDonald from Mississippi is going to be recording some hunts for us as well. So Heck yeah. And these are not just going to be your southern turkeys. We're hunting all over the country. So Absolutely. We'll have some Yankee-speaking turkeys. We'll have some southern-speaking turkeys. And maybe some midwestern or western-speaking turkeys for you guys. So yeah. something you'll want to tune in for, no doubt. I think that's going to be exciting stuff. Andy's been good. I hope everybody enjoyed all the content, and I know they're going to be looking forward to all the shows coming this summer that expand on all what we talked today. Yeah, yeah, lots of good stuff coming down the pipe. So, good deal. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. We know that you have choices. We appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review. And make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com to subscribe for free turkey hunting tips, tactics, strategies, and product reviews to help you have a more successful turkey season. And stay tuned for upcoming episodes on hunting afternoon birds, how to film your hunt, and the breeding cycle of hens, as well as some guest interviews. Thanks again for listening. We know your time is valuable, and we appreciate you sharing some of it with us. See you next week.